Welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, sponsored by Moda Fabrics. We have a terrific show filled with tips and tricks for you today. So let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I have got inspiration. We are talking vintage things. We are talking fun projects. All today, I'm Pat Sloan. Kim Soper is here, and she's from Leland Studios, and she does amazing work. And I'm really interested in a whole series that she's doing out on her website, and we are going to find out about it. Leland Avenue Studios, it's Kim. Thank you. Glad you're here. Thank you, Pat. You know, you wrote me about your and told me about your creativity project. This is something you've been doing on your website all, all year, right? Yes, it's for the entire year of 2018, and it is a weekly interview series with quilters exploring the why, getting to the heart of why we quilt. You liked your interview questions with your guests are very um, thoughtful, you know, like a lot of how, you know, people think about their quilt making, and I can see that from your own work, um, even I think to your name, what, what did the, your name comes from someplace special for your business? It does. Um, the name Leland Ave is the name of the street that my mom grew up on in the Bronx in New York. My grandma was a very strong and caring woman. She raised seven kids among them, my mom, mm-hmm. and we're similar in a lot of ways. So even though she wasn't a quilter, I chose to honor her strong spirit and energy, and plus we're both Sagittarians, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. So am I. So that's (laughs) little secrets. Little do they know, the people like us, right? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So you approach all of your making, I think, um, with purpose, Um, and I might even, like, I always think it feels very zen, what you do. It just has this... um, sort of aura about it how do you how do you think personally about your own quilt making when I think about my quilt making I am really interested in the process and Mm -hmm. what drives us to create in the first place rather than so much about what it is that we're creating Mm -hmm. Um, I really believe that creating something is a way for us to feel like we're leaving our own personal mark on this world so as a, as a quilter, I tend to ask a lot of questions and create slowly. Uh, I don't necessarily produce a lot of work in a given year, but I hope that what I do make shows the intention behind every stitch and every design choice. So how long have you been making quilts? I got my first sewing machine from my mom on Valentine's Day about nine years ago when I first decided to stay home with my son. And I found out I was pregnant with my next son, and I decided to make a quilt for him, and that got me hooked. <laughs> it did, it, lots of people make their first quilts for babies. Yep, it the is, nesting phase. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing. Maybe and sometimes their own babies, sometimes other people's babies, but those babies generate so many quilt makers. Like long. I know, and it's such a wonderful hobby. So it's actually a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. So when you've been interviewing people about their 
they're making, you know, as a maker. What mm-hmm. is one of, do, do you have like a, like, is there like a little thread of things that you've noticed? Because you've done like 40 something weeks we're in here now, I think like 43 weeks. It's true. Um, I have found a lot of common themes and reasons for quilting across this wide range of quilters. And the one thing that I really have noticed is that the more that we see ourselves in one another, the more that we're able to have compassion and empathy for one another. And once we have compassion and empathy for one another, we can make the world a better place. So my whole point is trying to find these common threads for us. Um, I think a lot of us suffer from feelings of envy or jealousy of other people's work at some point in our lives. I think that a lot of us have a lot of feelings around whether or not we're considered creative as children, and there's a lot of um, weight around the word artist. But at the Mm. end of the day, we all approach it from our own perspectives, and we come out in the same way that we're all quilt artists, and I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and makers have kind of a, a a drive. You know, they. I feel like I need to create. You know, it's not like yep. really. I have a choice. You know, I, I agree. Yeah. Did you make things prior to making quilts and and you know working with fiber? I grew up always drawing and coloring mm-hmm. and using felt and beads making Christmas ornaments, but I had seen quilting as something that my mom did. She started doing Mm. it when I was about 14, and I didn't think that that was something that appealed to me until I discovered the modern quilting movement, and then suddenly seeing the graphic, bold designs really spoke to me, and it became something I really loved. Do you have a graphics background? I don't at all. I'm actually an attorney. That would be like non-graphics, yes. No, no pictures at all, actually. (laughs) Well, I come from a computer background, and I started when there was words. You know, like my whole background is words. I Mm -hmm. don't, you know, people now think of computers because it's very visual, but um, not when I started. Uh, Right. (laughs) But I've always made things, so that was a... That was one thread. Now, can you describe the quilts that you enjoy making? Because you said you enjoy a modern look, but um, yours are, you know, have a, a style. It's funny. I don't know that my quilts necessarily have a cohesive style. Maybe others can see it more than I can. But for me, it's all about exploring a particular technique or concept in depth. Um, I mean, I definitely do gravitate toward solids and um more bold color palettes, so I guess that would fall within the modern um, area rather than a traditional quilter, say. But as far as making, I, I don't necessarily explore the same concept over and over again. I kind of think about it, make it once, and then I'm ready to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have a quilt that you've done that sort of after you made it, there became a story because I know you, you like that story. You know, you have that sort of flow with your projects. Uh, actually, yes. In 2017, uh, my quilt Lincoln won the People's Choice Award at QuiltCon. It's an amazing but quilt. <laughs> the funny thing about that quilt was that it almost wasn't able to be a part of the show. Wow. Because the quilt is based on a pop art photo of Abraham Lincoln by an Indonesian artist, Isan Ikaputra. And 
because my work was considered a derivative, I needed his explicit permission to show the quilt at QuiltCon. And here I am in Long Island, New York, and he's in Indonesia, and I didn't know how I was going to go about contacting him to get his permission. I reached out a few times over email to no avail. And then finally, through Facebook, I saw that he had someone listed as his wife, and I sent her a message, and she connected us instantly. He gave me his permission to show the quilt, and I actually wound up making him a mini quilt from the scraps that I used to make Lincoln, and he made a portrait of my husband and I in his pop art style, and we've been connected ever since. Oh, my gosh, that gives me chills, you know? (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, always go to the spouse. That must be the rule, you know? Like, if you can't get to them one way, go another way. That's like <laughs> from the powers of the Internet. Like Yes, tw- the powers of w- the Internet and the powers of women. <laughs> right, right, right. 25 years ago, you couldn't have done that. It Absolutely. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened. It just, you would have, you may have not even seen his art. Right, exactly. Yeah, just incredible. Things just roll so fast and change so fast. It's it's fun. Absolutely. So, so I have a question. Tell me a okay. little bit about how you, um, when you're talking to people, because, you know, like you said earlier, people get a little bit wound up with, you know, oh, this is perfect, or, you know, oh, I'm not making as much as, you know, Jim mm-hmm. is making over there, and my stuff's not as good. You know, what do you tell people that when you hear that? My tip is focus on your breath when you sew. My yoga teacher always says, control your breath, control your life. By focusing on your breath, it can bring a presence to your sewing process. When you're getting frustrated, if you sewed your seams incorrectly, you sewed the wrong piece together, focus on your breath and how you're breathing. If it's shallow, if you're sighing, plant your feet on the floor, Take some deep breaths, and it'll bring you back to the fact that it's about the process and not necessarily the result. And people get very sort of, um, was it negative to themselves when they make mm-hmm. mistakes? You know, when they negative make a mistake. Talk. Yep. Yeah, and it's like mistakes are part of learning. You, you know, absolutely. I, Absolutely, and it's our internal dialogue that the way that we speak to ourselves, how we present ourselves to others and how others see us. So it's really important to try and nip those negative thoughts in the bud and really just try and encourage ourselves because that's how we're going to really be our best. So do you have a piece that you're working on now or is the creativity project sort of your big project for this year? The creativity project is one project, and the other large project that I'm working on is a uh, community project that I started on International Women's Day, and it's called the In Our Own Words Quilt. Wonderful. I can tell you a little bit about it. Yeah, we have about Um, a minute, so if you can give me like a brief, and then people can go to your website. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. The quilt, I collected words from women across the world and in this country where they stitched a word of empowerment, a positive word about themselves that I am now compiling into a very large quilt, 112 by 112, that will honor those hand-stitched words and the stories behind them. Uh, That's a big quilt. You must have got a lot of blocks. I did. I I got a lot of blocks, and I'm really hoping to give each of them the equal amount of honor and respect that they deserve. So, yeah. 
Well, I can't wait to see it. And people can find that on your website, right? Yes, um, on my website, and they can also find out about the project on my website. It's LelandAvStudios.com. We have about 10 weeks left, and your listeners can follow along and catch up on all of the amazing interviews I've had this year. Wow. Kim, this has been exciting to talk to you and get to know you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Pat. It's really been a pleasure. We'll be right back after our break, and see you soon. Six issues of American Patchwork and Quilting a year delivered right to your door. Each issue is packed full of quilting patterns, how-to techniques, and tips and tricks from the editors and designers. And right now, we have a special deal for all of our podcast listeners. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash deal to subscribe and enter coupon code podcast at checkout to get 60% off your subscription. Find the link in our show notes. You don't want to miss out. Are you a good starter of projects, but not the best finisher? Have you amassed a large collection of UFOs or unfinished objects? Join our private Facebook group to be supported by a community of quilters all working to finish their projects. Search for the American Patrick and Quilting UFO Challenge on Facebook to get started. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I'm Pat Sloan. We're going to talk embellishing now. Karen Lee, uh, Karen Lee Carter, of quilt is a quilt artist who works with lots of sparkly things at times, and she just feels like you need to embellish it or it's not finished. I'm so excited to have <laughs> you on the show, Karen. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Well, I'm delighted to be here with you today, Pat. You know, I just, that just sort of makes me giggle that, you know, it is not finished. So you've put something on that, you know, it's like, you know, you have to, you must have like a lot of embellishments at your house. Yes, I do. I have an embellishment stash that would rival any of your listeners' fabric stashes. (laughs) And um, it's my pride and joy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've been making quilts for um, a while. Uh, What, when did, like, 20, 30 years, something like that. Yeah, um, 20, 20 years now. Oh, okay, 20 years, okay. So how did you find quilt making? I um, actually began to quilt um, after a lifelong love of, of fabric and sewing. I began quilting when, when I was 40 years old. I um, had... Done, of course, the typical home deck sewing and garment sewing um, and was a little bored with that. And I saw the quilts that a friend of mine was making, and some of your listeners may uh, and probably will know Wendy Butler Burns. She's a Mm -hmm. wonderful art quilter, Mm -hmm. and Wendy and I were friends. I was inspired by her work and admired by her work, and I said to myself, well, that is something I'd like to try someday, and maybe I'll do that someday. But 
uh, within weeks of my 40th birthday, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and realized that, you know, those some days aren't always a promise and a guarantee. So Mm -hmm. while I was going through chemotherapy, I signed up for a beginning quilt making class. Oh, that is, you, you know, when you're doing something difficult, Karen, there you take something new and learn it. Did it help you refocus your energy? Oh, it, it was wonderful. It was just wonderful. I was able to have something to do on the days that I couldn't um, leave the house. Mm-hmm. And it just was absolutely yeah. um, wonderful. Yeah. You know, that's when I think a lot of times when we as makers, when we have something difficult, it's really our making that helps us get through that, that we go and focused on something else. It was the best therapy that I had. And I encourage people now to find a creative outlet at any time you're going through something difficult. Just discover your joy and pursue your passion. Yeah. So how did you figure out that adding that extra layer of embellishments was really what feeds your soul that makes you the happiest? Well, it was probably, to begin with, out of necessity because <laughs> I had so much of those things. Just like so you had um, to do it. love fabric and collect fabric and stash and hoard fabric, yeah. I have that very same attraction to ribbon, buttons, beads, rickrack, cording, all of it, I love it all. I buy it all. I stash it all. And it gives me a lot of pleasure to be able to use it in my work. When you first started, that was that was a big thing. You know, it ebbs and flows. I was just talking to a shop owner um, who we were just saying how things ebb and flow, uh, what, what's popular. When you first started, where those, were, those embellishments were readily available. Yes. Absolutely, they were. Or, you know, what I find is we all have them left even from garment sewing days. So um, I use rights, trims like rickrack and hem and Mm -hmm. seam tape. And, um, you know, if you're a crafter or a sewer, often you have these things already. So what size quilts are you making now? Like what did you sort of land on as your style? Um, I make mostly wall quilts. And um, as I'm busier and and teaching, they seem to get smaller and smaller. <laughs> but um, my embellished work is is um, mostly wall quilts. So when you now think about how did, what did, tell me your process, Karen, about thinking about embellishing a quilt. You know how how do you sort of approach that? Because I've done it in the past, but I've not done a lot of it, so I don't really have that thought process. Well, I love that question because when I um, go and uh, speak at guilds and meet other quilters, what I encourage them to do is to build themselves an embellishment stash. Just like we as quilters have fabric stashes, as an embellisher, I've got a stash. And that means I have, I know where my things are and they're mm-hmm. organized and they're readily available. So that when, and, and I, buy them when I see them, 
Mm-hmm. And right. <laughs> know that someday I'm going to find the perfect use for them. So when I begin a project, I pull my fabric like we all do, but I also pull my embellishments. Anything that I think might possibly go on that quilt, I'll pull in the in the design stage. Oh, okay. So it's um it's quite a process, but a lot of fun. Okay, so what, so you're not waiting till the end. You're pretty much planning your embellishing as you're designing. Absolutely, and oh, okay. I'm I'm making quite a bit of effort to make sure that the embellishment is right for that particular piece. That's mm-hmm. my biggest goal is for the embellishing to enhance the piece mm-hmm. and um, perfect it. Well, I love like I was just look when I was looking out was looking out at your gallery. Get the words out here. Yeah. <laughs> you, I love the bouquets. Like you have one called Holiday Bouquet Rouge, which looks yes. like poinsettias and has a gorgeous Christmas print. I mean, I could see anybody trying that or like the Christmas tree trying that as like their first projects because it's such an obvious place to embellish. It it is, and what is so exciting that happens in my classes is all these projects tend to look a little different because embellishing is a way of adding your own personal touch to your piece. That's that's so exciting in my classes. So how do people store, maybe you first, how do you store all this <laughs> wonderful little things. I mean, do you have like like a whole wall of little tiny drawers? As I envision, like the tool, you know, those tool cases with the little drawers for well, the screws. Um, I have an embellishment um, shelf in my closet right above my fabric where I've got all my ribbons and cording and twine and, and trims. And mm-hmm. those are all in plastic, clear, see-through boxes, so I grab the box I need, and um, my beads are in a jewelry armoire, <laughs> mm, and course. I have a wall of yarn, so um, there are many different ways to organize it and keep it, but I do encourage folks to do that, to have the embellishments organized and ready to pull out an ad. So one of the typical um, styles of embellished quilts that a lot of quilt makers are familiar with is a crazy quilt because not only are they embellished with stitches, then on top of that might be beading and cording and all those other things. Have you seen a movement to have a more like contemporary, a more modern version of that? Um, Well, yes. And in fact, I hope to be part of that movement. I, um, my most popular class that I teach is called Contemporary Crazy Quilt. Of course, as an embellisher, I was drawn to crazy quilts from the very beginning, but imagine my uh, disappointment and dismay when I learned that they were mostly done by hand, and um, I was a machine girl. Yeah. So I quickly developed a way to make crazy quilt blocks on the machine, and embellish as you go. Oh, neat. Are you beating on the machine? I'm not beating on the okay. machine. I do do the beating <laughs> by hand. But yeah. just about everything else gets mm-hmm. done 
on the on the machine and in a in a way that goes very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say because if you're beating on that machine, I want to know how to do that. <laughs> That's like that would be fun. <laughs> no, but there isn't a trim I won't try to sew on by machine. I'll t- I'll, I'll 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 tell you that it's it's a lot of fun. It's very um, satisfying and and gratifying, and I just. I uh, love to be able to teach that class. When you're sewing, are you using like a lot of clear thread or are you using matching color thread? I'm just trying to get my head around doing this all in the machine. Yes, right. Um, monofilament thread is my friend, and <laughs> I um, do teach how to use it in my in my classes. I mm-hmm. mostly use it when I want the or need the embellishment to be the star, and I don't want you to be able to see exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want the thread to take away from the um, embellishment itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that's that would do it because it would just sort of be holding it down, but the the pretty embellishment would still be in place. Neat. And then we can use the various beautiful, shiny, and colored threads for doing decorative stitches. And we all seem to have these machines now that have wonderful stitches that we don't often utilize. So this is a great use for those decorative stitches and to learn how to use them. So we have about two minutes. Um, tell me about the book that you're doing. Uh, it might be a long-term project. Oh, did you see that on on mm-hmm. um, Facebook or, yeah. or Instagram that I've been posting? Mm-hmm. The fabric book. Yeah, that's where I saw it. Yes. Well, I um, am developing a new class that I'm going to be teaching called Embellished Fabric Books. And so I'm combining some photo transfer and, of course, my embellishments, some embroidery hand stitching, and making small um, fabric books that can either fold or stand like an, like an, an easel or accordion display. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Oh, they're really, really neat. I, lo- I love them. I was like, ooh, that is, that is really cool. Okay, Thank I have a fun you. question. And, um, I do like to offer smaller projects because I realize, especially if you're just getting started embellishing, mm-hmm. that to do a big wall quilt could be a little daunting. So it's it's nice to be able to start with a smaller project, get your feet wet, and um, go from there. Yeah, that's a perfect suggestion. Yeah, anything bigger would take it. You'd like do something small and get it done and get a feel for it. That's right. That's yeah. right. Karen, this has been wonderful. I want everybody to visit Karen at KarenLeeCarter.com. Take one of her workshops. Karen, thank you. Thank you so much, Pat. It's been a pleasure. This is American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. I am Pat, and I'm going to go look and see where my buttons are and my trims. And we are going to take a break, and we will be right back.
Hi, I'm Jody Sanders, Group Editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, and I'd like to invite you to join me in making pillowcases to make a difference. For people who love to sew or quilt, it's so easy to lift spirits and bring smiles to hospitalized kids, homeless families, and others who are in need. Simply join American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine's One Million Pillowcase Challenge. Make one, two, or more pillowcases and donate them in your local community. You will make a difference with every pillowcase that you donate. Join the movement today. Find complete details, download free patterns, and record your donations online at allpeoplequilt.com slash million pillowcase. Join the annual American Patchwork and Quilting Quilt Along, along with thousands of other quilters. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash quiltalong to choose your favorite project and get the pattern. Then get sewing. Share photos of your progress on social media using the hashtag APQQuiltalong to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. I am Pat. So when I see somebody's website and the website name is Collector with a Needle, you know I need to know who this is and what's going on. Dawn Ronigan is with me. She is a fabulous quilt maker and specializes in a lot of vintage things. So Dawn, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm excited for this. You know, I love vintage uh, a lot. You know, when I saw your website, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love these quilts. I love what you have. Um, Have you always been attracted to the vintage sewing things? I have. Um, Not only quilts, but embroidery and the supplies uh, to make the items. I just find it fascinating that beautiful textiles can be made with just the simplest of supplies. And, and your, I love your banner because you have an old pin cushion, tomato pin cushions on your website banner. It's just, it's, I love those, those pin cushions. I don't know why. I get a little obsessed with them. It's like, yeah. do you have a? <laughs> I, I think we all do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have quilt makers in your family? Um, not not much. None of the antique quilts in my collection are family quilts. Um, everything in our collection um, has come either from auctions or antique shops or when we're out and about at flea market. And do you collect them primarily for your own work? Because I know you will pattern some of them. Yeah, we pattern some of them, but I also do decorate with them some. I have them hanging up in the in the house some. It uh, depends on the quilt, um, if it can uh, withstand display. And I rotate them when I display them in the house. So um, it just depends on the textile. So because you have had textiles around for a very long time, are your own children interested in them? They are. Um, both of them, I have two children. Um, both of them made quilts when they were teenagers. Uh, and my daughter went on to study um, design in college. And um, so, and she's still making quilts. She drafts all of the patterns. She's trained as an architect. And um, she loves textiles and um, is still a quilt maker. That, that, you told me that she had kind of a funny uh, story with 
in college. She did. One of her internships at the university was uh, at the Goldstein Museum on campus, and um, they acquisitioned an antique quilt collection, and she was able to name off all of the names of the quilts to the collection (laughs) manager. And when they questioned her about how she would know all this, uh-huh. Um, being a rather typical 20-year-old, um, she said she grew up with quilts. So I guess yeah. that immersion learning rubbed <laughs> off more than I thought. And she didn't tell me about this until I later, and I happened to visit the campus, mm-hmm. and the museum staff told me the story. So oh, I thought that was great. That's so funny. It probably just didn't mean anything to her. It's like, oh, yeah, I know that. You know, doesn't yeah, everybody... doesn't everybody know what a prince right. feather is? Right. Yeah, it's a princess feather. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so how I found you was through your new book, um, Antique American Needlework Tools. So I thought, you know, tell me a little bit about this project to document amazing uh, sewing tools. Well, it was a labor of love. I um, I collect them, and I know I have several friends um, who also collect. And I like to visit, when I visit museums, I like to see what's in their collection. And there wasn't much documentation on the American story of all these wonderful things. And so um, I was happy to do this book um, and was able to present. I think I have somewhere around 750 photos, but also um, several, uh, lots of research into um, who the designers were, um, the patent holders, um, how they're made, um, just kind of a deep dive into the, the details as well as photos. That I thought was fascinating because I'm always sort of, I'm interested in that backstory, you know, like, yes, this is a pretty item, but you know, how did it come about? You know, who thought of this? And there are some amazing tools in there. What was one of your, to you personally, you thought like, wow, that's what that's used for, or this is unique. You know, what was sort of a wow item in your collection? Um, I would say uh, it probably would change tomorrow if you ask me tomorrow. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, today I would say it's a pincushion I have that's embroidered with flowers, but the flowers are made of fish scales. And um, we went through a phase where we used um, fish scales like from carp or other fish uh, and embroidered beautiful, elegant satin and lace um, pincushions and things with them. Wow. I I didn't know that. I've, did you realize what? <laughs> It sounds icky, actually, but I'm sure it's well, not. Well, the ladies' magazines would publish instructions and tell you how to how to um, take your fish scales and clean them and um, prepare them for the embroidery. Um, some people dyed them. Some people used them just in their natural state. So, um, yeah, it's kind of today that probably wouldn't fly. Yeah, it, yeah, that is, somebody would just make a, a simulated version. You could use that. Yes. Yeah. Plastic or something. Uh, when I was looking in there, I, I saw this. The I, I love needle cases. Love needle cases. And I saw the little sunbonnet Sioux one. I have a green one that looks just like that. Yeah, those were those were very um, very popular, and they were done and sold at um, little community fairs. Some ladies gave them as gifts, um, and they're fun to see all the different varieties in those. I have a satin one. Um, yeah, there's all different styles of those. Mine's kind of thick, almost like a thick, dense wool or something, or a felt. So, 
Yeah, I think ladies um, were just really ingenious, and they used what they had and um, did lots of variations of things. They weren't they weren't as well. The patterns weren't as detailed as today's patterns, if they even had mm-hmm. a pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were much more liberated to do what they wanted. Yeah, and the the toolboxes, you know, like I call them toolboxes, like sewing boxes. There, you have such a variety. Where do you keep all of those in your house? I mean, do you have to have like a a workshop somewhere else where you keep all this gorgeous stuff? Well, I'm very lucky to have wonderful studio space, and I have a wall of shelving in my studio that the sewing boxes are on. Um, And I think my studio is somewhere around 1,500 square feet, so it's probably Mm -hmm. a a 12- or 15-foot wall that's all shelving. Um, that I'm able to keep those on, and um, I rotate them. Some of them I use, mm-hmm. um, but they're a lot of fun to to share and look at. Yeah, there's you have a lot of unique ones documented. I don't. I've been thinking about getting a wooden sewing box because I've never had a wooden one. You know, my and I think they're so beautiful, and they make new ones now. You know, if you want to make make a new one, um, do you have one that you? that you use all the time? Is there one that's like, well, this is like your working one? Yeah, I have a couple I use all the time. Like I have little sewing nests around the house, like in the family room and living (laughs) room, and I have um, antique sewing boxes by those that I use every day and keep my thread in. Um, But And then I have a few um, special ones I don't use that are favorites. Like I have one that has a secret compartment in it. I Mm. think that one's in the book. Um, And I never would have known about that secret compartment. But when I purchased it, it wasn't packaged correctly. And when it was Uh delivered, I heard all this rattling. And I thought, oh, my gosh, the mirror is in it broken. And when I opened it, the mirror was fine, but the inner tray had come all apart. And that's Mm -hmm. how I discovered the secret compartment when I was putting it back together. Ah. So had it been packaged appropriately, I probably still to this day wouldn't know about that secret compartment. Oh, that's so cool. Gives me chills. It's like, oh, what did they (laughs) keep in there? Love letters. They kept, and they're stashed, they're money. That's like. Well, she had, there was a couple of baby rings, which some oh. people tell me they aren't baby rings. They were just um, small rings because people were much more petite. So I'm not sure which is mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a little lock of hair in there. Oh. So oh. with her sentimental little stash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the other part of, of what you do because you create um, patterns. And that's is what you know. What I love is like these antique quilts with the applique that have sort of. I, sometimes I think like you know, why did they put that shape on there? What is that? You know, and you have patterned some of those. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Mary. Was it Witherwax? Yeah, Mary Witherwax. Um, it's a quilt that we um, we bought at auction. Um, we think um, that Mary made it about 1851, and we think we found it in the New York State Fair records. We think that oh. she entered two uh, quilts in the fair in 1851, and the design and the everything about it fits that time period. And Mary put her name on it, big and bold, in letters um, across the bottom of the I quilt. I love that. Yeah, like I know. Name. When I did the reproduction, I thought, should I put her name on there or should I put uh, my name on there? And so I settled for um, our family name because it fit. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
We included alternate blocks in there if someone didn't want to do the alphabet or, um, you know, wanted to do something different with it. Um, but she she did, I think she was a doodler because she mm-hmm. she has some botanical things like leaves and hearts that are very recognizable. But others are just kind of little shapes that are very interesting. And so it was a real treat to stitch those and just wonder what she was thinking when she drew that. Yeah, that is exactly my, that's me. That's me, Dawn, is like, what were they thinking? What is, like, there's a little tulip. You can tell the tulip. Then there's this thing, looks like a balloon. You know, it's like, what is that? Um, when when you, you're a historian as well. You love the history. Um, you can tell that from your book, too. But when you looked at these shapes, do you try to go and find something similar on another quilt, or you just accept it, you know, or you just sort of enjoy it for what it is? Um, it depends on the shape. On, on our Noah and Matilda quilt, we have a couple of blocks that are cactus, which is very unusual. Um, and I was able to find a botanical print from that era that almost matches the block identically. And ah. so we think that might have been the inspiration, plus then we could identify the plant name for that particular block. Uh, but sometimes you just kind of have to give it your best guess on what it might be. And maybe call it probably instead of giving it, you know, a firm, a firm name. But, you know, we, we have quilt historians who have doctorates in botany. So I have a good network to tap into when I can. <laughs> and you have patterned quite a few antique quilts. So on your website, um, collector with a needle, uh, you can, people can find the different ones because it is nice for me. Like I love, those antique quilts and I someday want to you know sort of just reproduce one it's nice that you've do- you've done it for us so we just can buy the pattern <laughs> yeah my daughter does the patterns and she's trained as an architect and she includes all of the hand quilting lines on the pattern so if you want to truly reproduce it um, you can follow the quilting lines or have your long armor, you know, digitize those quilting lines. And then you really, really are truly recreating the entire look. Although on some of our samples, we do um, make samples in like case facet or modern um, mm-hmm. things just to give people an idea that those patterns are really timeless. They They really can be done in whatever kinds of fabric you love. They in fact, really I just had someone send me pictures. They finished Mary Witherwax, and they did it all in um, French, French general fabrics. Oh, I bet it's gorgeous. Dawn, it this it's has beautiful. been so much fun. Thank you for having me. I just, I just love talking antique quilts, and so now I need to figure out which one I want to make next. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we will be right back. our listeners love a good deal. We have a special offer just for our podcast listeners. Get 50% off a downloadable pattern of your choice in our online shop. Visit apqshop.com, add a digital pattern to your cart, and enter coupon code podcast at checkout. Then get quilting. Visit our show notes for more details. We've been doing the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast since 2011. That's a lot of shows. Search for guests, 
listen to past episodes, and read quotes from the show on our website. You'll even find a special welcome video from our host, Pat Sloan. Visit us at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's podcast. I'm Pat Sloan from my Carolina home. Doesn't that sound like a great website name? It is. I've been writing with Carol Carter, who is the owner of this site for for years, off and on. And I'm like, yeah, Carol, we need to talk. We need to get you on the show. And here she is. Carol, thank you for being here. Hi, Pat. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I don't know when we started writing, but you do a lot of fun things, and you contacted me. And uh, so, so when tell me, I don't know sort of your backstory. When did you develop your website from my Carolina home? I really started the website in January of 2014. I like writing, and I just seemed like a good way to have an outlet for all of my ideas. Because you write about several, you know, like your hobbies, um, you know, cooking, reading, but it's a lot of quilting. It is a lot of quilting. That's probably the number one thing because that's where my biggest interest lies. When you have 10 sewing machines in the basement, you have to sew. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Some people have those 10 machines and, you know, they just, they just collect them. They don't have to use them. (laughs) Certainly true, and and a couple of mine are that way since they're antiques. But the, mm-hmm. the, actually, there are six that I sew on regularly, including my wow. long arm. Oh wow, wow, wow! That's a lot. I I can't even manage just one. I you know pretty much use. No, I I have some others I use a little more frequently. So when did you make your first quilt? My very first quilt was sometime in the 1980s that I made for a home that we had that had a very tall ceiling and a big, wide wall that had nothing on it overhead. So I made a quilt to go there, and it was pretty bad. But it really didn't get bitten by the bug until about 2004. Mm-hmm. So how did you start sort of really diving deep into it? it you know, did you join a guild? You know, How did that all work? Yes, I did. I was in a quilt store. I just moved to our current home in North Carolina, and found a quilt store, naturally, and a very chatty lady there, um, not a, a, a salesperson, but a customer um, named Mary, started a conversation with me, and she got me into her guild, and it just went from there. I began making lots of quilts and competitions. Then retired, I began writing patterns and doing that, um, the scrap dance series is where that came out of. So when you did your first patterns, uh, what was there a reason for them? Was it because you needed to do it for a project, or did you, did you decide that you wanted to have that as a business? I just wanted to do it for fun. I had done a mystery <laughs> quilt with our guild, and it wasn't a pattern that I designed. It just was, you know, I was in charge of the programs for that year mm-hmm. and did this mystery quilt thing, and everyone just had such a good time. Um And then after that, after I started my blog, I'd been blogging about a year when I decided I'd do one on the blog, and that went over very well. Um, That was when I began to look at at using um, software uh, to Mm -hmm. help design. 
But the scrap dance started because my eyes were bouncing all over this quilt as I was trying to quilt it. I had tried to think of a name, and it just wasn't Mm -hmm. coming to me until that day. And since then, the mystery quilts have all been named after dances. So I have tango and waltz and Charleston and quick step and all kinds. They just seem to name themselves as I'm doing them. So what is the... I love that. I love the the dance names. I think that's pretty fun. It's it's. It I, I love series. I love series. Anything in series. It's like yes, mm-hmm. give me a new series. What what type of quilts are there? Are they scrap based. They are scrappies, and that's my big thing. I think that's my niche. Is that I do what you what you patterns for what you need to use up all of your stuff that you've got sitting in drawers. I mean I don't know how many scrap saver programs there are out there that say leftovers into this square and that square and this thing and that. And I try to pull on those standard like two and a half inch squares or five inch squares for charm packs. Pull from those sizes so that people can have something to use up all the leftovers which makes my patterns kind of unique because they don't have yardage. <laughs> they just yep. have, here's how many of this square size you need. And oh. then you just pull from your from your stash. So mm. it'll say you need this many mediums or this many uh, darks and this many lights. And they, they, the scrappy designs just come together. I typically do a two-block um, design also because I mm-hmm. love tessellating patterns. So they're, that's where the movement comes from, with the, and the dancing comes from in the movement right. of the pattern. <laughs> um, for example, Waltz has this wonderful circular design that comes from the two blocks, and it just reminded me of dancers on uh, dancing around and doing those circular movements as they move across the dance floor. Well, you know, I love the fact that you know, people who have built sort of scrap systems, you know, they've gone ahead and, you know, cut, pre-cut their scraps up. This gives them just the formula, you know, that is fabulous. You just know I need X number of two and a half inch squares. Exactly. Exactly. So you you don't have to go by yardage and Mm -hmm. there, you have nothing to lose. I mean, you've got all these scraps sitting around, why not make something out of it that's pretty neat, I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And I'd it love doesn't that. really cost you anything because you've got all this stuff in your drawers anyway. <laughs> free quilts, free quilts, right. You don't have to... Exactly. <laughs> so what kind of tip do you give, uh, have for making these, you know, to be successful for color or preparation, you know, some aspect of your, your projects like this? Well, there's a couple of things that um, one was uh, – something that a friend of mine once told me that every quilt I made kind of looked like autumn, which I do love autumn, I have to say Mm -hmm. that, and everyone that reads my blog knows that. (laughs) But she told me if I would put some blue in with that, that it would look more scrappy every day and not quite Mm -hmm. so much autumn. And she was absolutely right. So I've been doing that ever since, unless I truly do want to make the quilt look like the Mm -hmm. fall leaves around yeah that is interesting put in like this the blue sky put the blue sky in carol Mm -hmm. so that your Mm -hmm. quilt (laughs) can uh, (laughs) yes a little bit of navy here and there goes a long way to taking the autumn out of a color 
How do you store your? I assume that you have a scraps cut pre-cut. Um, if I if you don't, tell me that. But if you have them pre-cut, how do you how do you personally store them? You know, I don't really do a lot of of cutting into the sizes that I need for you know, like like having a scrap saver system. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, what I'm using is uh, I use a lot of layer cake. And okay. I just cut them as I go. And then the other thing is I keep big plastic bags, like those two-gallon zipper top bags, just full of the the leftovers from the last project that I did. Okay. And then I try to pull those out and use that first. But I still do have a considerable number of those plastic bags. <laughs> true confessions. True confessions. We have plastic bags of stuff. That's like we all do, um, right? That's well, yes, yes, and I think they call them. Uh, it, I think they call them something like pigs, something in bags. Work. Yeah, uh, projects in them. projects in grocery bags. Pigs. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Except mine are clear plastic instead of grocery right. bags. Right. <laughs> Same difference. That's. Well, yes. tell me about tell me about your autumn jubilee. See, we're going to talk about autumn, uh, but it is autumn, so that's good. It is what autumn. Is autumn. And yeah, every talk- every October for the past, uh, this is my third year to do this. I have designed several projects and new recipes and craft projects along with a quilt along, a sew along, and a stitch along. And every um, post in October has a giveaway. So I have a, a good relationship with a number of fantastic uh, sponsors that offer prizes and, you know, to to help promote their business, obviously, but also to get people awareness up about new things, um, new kinds of battings and fabrics and so on. Um, and this year is is uh, the probably the biggest yet. I'm, I'm giving away all almost a thousand dollars worth of merchandise over the month several of those um, giveaways are still open for entries as of right now and the ones from wednesday friday and sunday of last week along with today all those will still be open until wednesday that's when it finally closes on the 31st well and you have really fun projects like i love um your pumpkin that you're decorating, which Karen, a previous guest, you know, she'll be proud of you putting beads on your pumpkin. Yes. <laughs> so now these patterns that you that you designed then that during the Jubilee that, that people can download? Yes, they are, and they've remained free on the blog forever. Oh. I, I never pull um, Autumn Jubilee. So okay. this year's patterns are still there as well as last year and the year before. Oh, neat. That's that's very generous. That's awesome. People like to go, you know, once they hear something, they want to go back and find it. So it's always nice. Exactly. You know, and, yeah. and sometimes we'll use something from the previous year. You know, you might want to mix like the leaf from last year with the pumpkin from this year um, mm-hmm. together to create something totally your own. And so the, they're inter interact. They, they work together. In other like words, interchange, like six inch yeah. blocks or 12 inch blocks. You could do a row by row out of what I've got up there so far. It, you know, just whatever you'd like. But they do remain free. I don't take those down. Well, you also had told me uh, that you have another project going on. I want to be sure to get this in because we have maybe two minutes at the most. Okay. Um, you have your Carolina Hurricane uh, project. The quilt project for the victims of Florence and Michael. Um, mm-hmm. 
based mainly in Wilmington is where the majority of the damage is. And I am putting together a quilt drive, and that will be updated on my blog this coming Friday, November the 2nd. We'll give you all the details on that. Um, You can make blocks. I'm asking for people to make full quilts. I'll have addresses to send them to various uh, organizations that are not only helping me to put this together, but also some that have gone on before me and Mm -hmm. um, are still collecting. So try to give everyone that can help out an opportunity to do that. Yeah, that is it's, – it's nice to have somebody organizing it because otherwise it sort of gets lost. Um, you need a central central place for all that to happen. Um, I agree. Yeah. So what comes – you have we have about a minute. What comes up next for you? What are you working on? Well, I'm still involved and kind of enamored with Asian fabrics. <laughs> So I've kind of I've got this idea in my head that I was looking at some fabric this just this morning that I think would be an, a very interesting Japanese Christmas quilt. So I've got that's kind of percolating in in my mind at the moment. Um, I, I'm, I'm still not not done with the Japanese stuff. My mm-hmm. friends were laughing at me when I said I was in my Japanese phase last February. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're still in that phase. Also doing a teacups quilt along out of all Japanese fabrics. So I think that's well, kind of my current thing. This has been fabulous, Carol. I just I appreciate you coming in and coming on and talking with me. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Visit Carol at my from my Carolina home. I'm Pat Sloan for American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. You can visit me at Facebook. Come to my group, Quilt Along with Pat Sloan, and the magazine has a fabulous community on Facebook for doing UFO challenges. So you can just search out American Patchwork and find them. We will catch up with you on the next show. I'm Pat Sloan. See you then. Hi all, and thanks for listening. If you love the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.